I'm Steve. On today's show, we are discussing anxiety, social media, and mental health. Our guest was diagnosed at the age of 16 with bipolar disorder. He uses his own life experience to talk about depression and suicide. He's just got some great stuff to say. He's an award-winning mental health speaker. He's a great author, founding director of the Geffen Academy, Ross Zabo. Ross, good to see you. Good to see you. How you been? Oh, busy. You know, I shouldn't say busy. Uh, productive. How's that? I'm trying to be productive in a busy, <laughs> chaotic world. How about yourself? So I've been I've been doing really well. Good. Lots of uh, productivity. Lots of things happening. So. Oh, that's good to hear. Hey, uh, it's been a while, as it's been said, a minute or two or three, maybe a lot more than that, from social media. What I see, it looks like you've been like crazy busy doing red eyes to the East Coast, coming back. And you know, what have you been doing? <laughs> I've had the opportunity to really get some cool mental health education going. Uh, so, you know, I run a school for students of grade six through 12, where we teach a class about mental health once a week. And then outside of that, I still speak and write mm -hmm. and do consulting work. So I think the coolest gig I had in the past couple months was I had the chance to speak to the Secretary of the Navy and the Commandant of the Marines and their 50 top officers uh, about mental health literacy. So that, wow. was the, uh, that was the red eye flight. And then other than that, I've been, you know, traveling, speaking, but really just trying to advance mental health education in any way I can. How did that opportunity come about? I mean, that's huge. So I did a presentation for the Navy a couple of years ago, and they really liked it. And then the Secretary of the Navy was organizing a conference to uh, discuss a lot of different issues happening. And we've developed a really cool mental health literacy or mental health vocabulary concept that the Navy was really interested in because huh. if we don't have a common language to talk about mental health, how are we how are we going to move forward? And so that's what I was there to do, was just kind of talk about that common language and how people can get on the same page. You know, that's so cool. And what an honor for you. I mean, it's it's just cool. to. I think back to a while ago when we um, did that live stream together, and I'll have to tell you more off the air about that. But in fact, if I'm not mistaken, you called me right before and said, hey, I'm in line at In-N-Out to get a burger. <laughs> I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> it, it, in general, probably, if I, in general, if I get somewhere early, I go to In-N-Out, you know? <laughs> yeah, my place as well when I can get there. Before we jump into to, uh, I think what's going to be a very important discussion. Now, I know stress is different for everybody. There's no simple answers. Um, we could, in fact, we should take a whole show to talk about that. But if you could grab one nugget or one bit of advice to give to people uh, that are, are watching and listening, just in general, what's something we can all do to help manage the stress? I think the most important thing is really to figure out what stress in your life is good and actually motivates you, okay. and what stress in your life is bad and kind of debilitates you. A lot of longitudinal studies have shown that if you categorize all stress as being bad, it leads to more mental health and physical health issues. And, and you actually die uh, five years before life expectancy if you're processing all stress as being bad. So it's mm. good to remember that some stress actually motivates huh. you. Some stress actually helps you. Some stress 
uh, lets you get things done and, and allows you to really move forward towards an action. And other stress, typically stress in relationships, families, things like that, tends to weigh on you. So just identifying what kind of stress you're experiencing can, can make huh. a huge difference. That's huge, what you're saying. I mean, just that in and of itself. And But that means we have to intentionally determine this is good stress, this is bad stress, mm -hmm. and focus more. I, I think I hear you saying focus more on the good stress that motivates you, that, that pushes you out. Because I like that differentiation. I like the way you put that because I don't often think about it that way, and I I'm not that unusual, I don't think. I think there's other people that, that struggle with it. So, no, that's cool. Well, that way, we do need to pick up on that conversation some more because it's something that, you know, just in general, I'm stressed out, you know. How you doing? I'm stressed, you know. What's mm -hmm. going on? I'm stressed, you know. It, it's, it seems to be that, that go-to word to use. But let's look at another word that seems to be it's everywhere, especially when it comes to, to young adults. Well, I think people in general too, but anxiety in young adults mm -hmm. is at an all-time high today, at least what I've been reading. You would know much mm -hmm. better because it's more your world. I believe it's something like, is it one in three young adults are struggling with anxiety? It is. And anxiety kind of spiked in 2008 when uh, technology started being more widely used. So the smartphone is what initially spiked anxiety. And then in 2013, when social media was widely used, anxiety, depression, and suicide rates spiked again. You know, everyone started paying attention during the pandemic, but the rates were actually much heightened and worse right before the pandemic. Interesting. The pandemic kind of made everyone pay attention, mm -hmm. but the rates of anxiety, depression, and suicide went up significantly with social media in 2013. And I think because there's more conversation about it, now people are talking about it a little bit more. No, it's interesting. And I want to clarify something for, for some of our audience. You're not saying, you know, your smartphone is bad. Social media is bad. It's one of those things that, that it can be used for lots of cool things or it can be, it can hamper you and it can hurt you. Definitely. And though. <laughs> and though. Oh, it's an and though. Okay, here we go. What the digital age has done is it typically only activates the part of our brain that lives in anxiety. So the digital age is really only activating our limbic system. It's not activating our cortexes. And because it's not activating our cortexes, we are at a heightened level of anxiety. We're at a heightened level of isolation, loneliness, depression, um, and all of these things because we're not intentionally activating the parts of our brain that would calm it down. So is technology bad? No. Is social media bad? No. But is technology and social media changing our brains to the point where we're not activating our cortexes? 100%. And it's making us more impulsive and it's making us read less and dive into deep conversations less. And it's making us make quick decisions and live in a space of 15 to 60 second videos concepts. And so that you could argue is something, I don't know, you, you might not want to call it bad. I would call it interesting. Yeah, no, no you know what? I, I'll call it bad because it's, you know, going, going back to what you said, a couple of things, you know, we don't dive into deep conversations anymore. And, you know, that is hurting us. Let's, I mean, let's just all be honest about that. It is hurting us because those deep conversations can be, uh, I don't want to use the word therapeutic necessarily. They can be beneficial. Mm -hmm. um, they can be encouraging. They can, you know, you're getting something 
out, you know, and, and letting somebody else respond to it. Uh, I mean, there's so many things there that, that I mean, it's, it's huge. Uh, but we don't do that. And our world has, I totally concur with you, our world has become that, that bite-size, you know, 60-second or less type of thing, you know. And it's funny because several years ago I was approached by uh, some people. I said, hey, you need to do a, a one-minute radio show. And I'm going, you're nuts. You know, what, what in the world could I say in one minute? And actually, it was one of the best things I, I learned how to do because I could communicate very succinctly. But that's, that's what our world has become. It's all these little sound bites, you know, and you really don't get the whole story. You don't see the whole thing. And it seems like, again, this isn't my world. This is your world. But like our brains must be bouncing back and forth on all of this stuff, trying to process it. Definitely. And if you think about the political divide in this country, if we're only activating our limbic systems, then we're only going to react in impulsive ways. And we're only going to further mm. our existing beliefs because we're not engaging our cortexes or finding a way to balance, calm down, engage, attentively listen, all these other things. Ooh. So it's hard. And, and then if you don't develop those skills, of how to activate your cortex is, then you do live in a persistent state of anxiety and that can be hard. I mean, what you're just saying is, is so significant, so important to us, um, finding that balance, not responding in an impulsive way. I mean, I've lost track of how many people have said, oh, I wish I would have stopped and thought before I posted that on social. Yeah. You know, then they, they try to take it down, you know, and, and sometimes you can, sometimes it's, it's too late. It's, and it seems like we've all become so anxious with, and, and we've got to respond very quickly in, instead of stopping and saying, okay, I'm going to back up like you might in a face-to-face -face conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and of course we say, and again, we're not, those of you in the audience, we're not knocking social media. We're just saying we need to learn how to better use it and better mm -hmm. balance ourselves because that, that impulsiveness has translated to other parts of our life, has it not? Yes. And it's uh, addictive. You know, uh -huh. it's a dopamine hit. So the other thing with social media that makes it difficult to leave is you keep getting a dopamine hit when you touch your screen, you get a dopamine hit if somebody likes your post or if you start getting followers. And so it's almost created this world of likes and follows, mm. which are dopamine mm. hits. And the dopamine hits also don't activate the cortexes. So you're kind of all just living in this space of quick fix dopamine hits. <laughs> Well, while we're, while you're we're, we're on this, what what are some things we can do then to try to find a balance? I want to come back to anxiety and sure. defining it a little bit more. But before we do, because this is so rich, right where we are, what what do I do? How do I become less impulsive? How do I find that balance? How do I? Is it as simple as turning my my iPhone off or turning on Do Not Disturb or? Sometimes it helps just to know how the brain works, the way the brain processes information. I think a lot of people would love to think that the brain operates from a place of making healthy or unhealthy decisions, but it doesn't. It can only make short-term or long-term decisions. Hmm. And the brain is super lazy, does not like to think, does not like to be activated, <laughs> does not like new things. 95% of thoughts we have every day are thoughts we've actually had before but the brain treats every day as novel. And so you think you're living in a new world and you're not. Huh. So you have to actually be intentional in knowing one, how your brain works and what you can do to activate the other pieces of mm. it. So 
you know, a lot of these social media companies have created timers because the biggest trap to get into is I'm just going to watch one more reel. I'm just going to watch one more thing. Yep. And then yep. you're yep. on this loop and now you've lost, you know, an hour or two of your life and, and yeah. what's happened. So it's really being intentional about uh, whatever a different coping mechanism is, listening to music, stretching, going for a walk, going outside, being in nature. You know, it's, it's fascinating that the wellness industry has kind of popped up during this digital age uh-huh. just to remind you to do things that everyone used to have to do Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's so pervasive, but you can be outside and on your phone all the time. And then if you do have a big following and if you do have, if you are an influencer, well, now your whole life has to be online for those likes, for those clicks, for those followers, yep, yep. or you might lose, you know, what, what your livelihood is. So exactly. I think it helps to really know how the brain works and then think about what you might want to do with it. Because if you're not being intentional, your brain's going to default to this lazy, just go with whatever is in front of it mode. You know, that is, that's so important. And you, I don't hear a lot of people talking about it this way, you know, knowing, I mean, I don't remember the last conversation I had or even something I saw on social or anything else, you know, do you know how your brain works? I mean, but it's huge. Because it has such a great impact on us. And like you said, our brain gets lazy, it defaults. And I mean, I gotta I will confess here that I, I've got a I've been using my do not disturb more, turning my phone over when I'm trying to get something done because you hear that beep, you hear that noise, you hear, you know, and oh I gotta check it. Why? Why do I have to check it? I don't need to check mm-hmm. that right now, you know. And even answering a call, I can answer, hey Steve, I've been trying to get a hold of you. Sorry, I've been busy doing a project. Yeah, well you have do not disturb on, yeah. I did for a reason, you know. I right. mean that's there's a purpose behind that and and that emotional charge then you see people just doing crazy, desperate things to get followers, to keep followers. You know, I've even had some friends give me a bad time when uh, I need to get back at it because of all, now we've got some decent weather, but um, I live by them at the base of the mountains and I love to get out and just do kind of a walk, jog and a horse trail. And well, do you take your phone with you? No. Well, why not? What if there's an emergency? There's an emergency, you know. Uh, what am I supposed to do about it? I, I, I don't want to be bugged. I don't want somebody to, you know, I don't want to have to, oh, I've got to answer this. No, I don't need to answer it. I can take 30 minutes and not answer it. Mm-hmm. That's really healthy. It's great that you can uh, make that distinction and, and do that because a lot of people may not be able to do it. And once you see the effects of it, I think it's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Even with my one of my seventh grade classes, one day, when the Surgeon General announced that he didn't think social media should be used under the age of 16, I asked my seventh graders, like, what do you all think of this? And they largely agreed. Really? <laughs> they, were like, they, were like, they were like, social media was a good idea in theory, but it just didn't work out. Other kids were like, you know, once social media became an industry, it just became like every other industry. And it kind of ruined the connection yep. because it became more about marketing, selling things, yep. um, competition. Uh, other kids have taken social media breaks for a couple of months and never gone back because really? they're like, I, I like my life so much better without it. Ooh. And so you're seeing this younger mm. generation really, really diving into how do we balance this because they see it destroying a lot of different things. And huh. so that's why flip phones are making a comeback, things like that, because the younger generation sees how damaging it can be. And they're like, I don't, I don't want this. That's huge. I mean, I'm glad to hear that really because it's healthy. I mean, forget the huge word. It's that's healthy. That's a healthy attitude to see and hear that that's happening. And 
okay, somebody says, I'm not going to go back to it. Big deal, you know. Um, the flip phone kind of a thing, you know. And mm -hmm. I mean, it's sad when you go to a restaurant and you see a family of four and they're all on their phones. Yeah. You know, no conversation, no, you know, it's a buddy of mine was out from New York and said, hey, Roos, can you meet me down, you know, down to Santa Monica, we'll have, you know, coffee or whatever. And the whole time for an hour and a half, it was, oh, hang on. Hi, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, hang on. And, and I wanted to grab his phone and say, hey, why did you bother to reach out mm -hmm. to me? Because you wanted to talk. We haven't talked. You know, mm -hmm. we barely talk. I mean, he's a great guy. I, don't get me wrong, but it's like kind of a waste of time to drive out there if we're not going to talk, you know. Definitely. Yeah. So, you know, look, I think there are a lot of things that people can do. It's just learning about how your brain works, learning what your coping mechanisms are, and then finding the motivation to actually do it. The thing about uh, our society, too, is we just don't have a vocabulary for a lot of this stuff. So while anxiety is much higher, there are a lot of people confusing just feeling nervous with having an anxiety disorder, okay. and that's doing damage on both sides. There are nervousness is a is a normal emotion yeah. when you have butterflies in your stomach because you're about to do something you haven't done before or because you have like a crush on someone or something like that yeah. like that's normal N nervousness lasts a short amount of time and it goes away anxiety is a more persistent feeling that interferes with you being able to do the things that you typically do mm. so if you are someone who just has nervousness and you tell someone with an anxiety disorder to just calm down the opposite of having an anxiety disorder is not being calm, it's being able to see reality. Mm. And I think that conversation is really important to have because there are so many people with actual anxiety disorders who are having their experiences dismissed by these people who are just nervous and, and telling them like, I've gone through this and they haven't gone through it. Yeah. So in other words, I mean, if that's happening, somebody who's really struggling with anxiety and, and, and a friend or whoever is even probably a professional could shut them down, then that's going to make them keep pulling it in tighter and tighter rather than trying to reach out and get help. Yes. And not only that, you know, one of the most important things in life is to feel seen and heard. Mm -hmm. And if you're going through something severe like an anxiety disorder and you don't feel seen or heard, it makes that recovery even more difficult. Oh, oh, man, that is so key. Um, it, we all want to be seen and heard. And like you said, that recovery, and, and you've used the word several times, the coping thing. We've got to find better ways to cope so we can have a different experience than, than just this ang these anxiety disorders. Uh, yeah. And you can get over them. Is that not correct? You can learn how to manage anxiety. Anxiety doesn't necessarily go away, but okay. you can learn different right. ways to recognize. So for example, some people have different triggers for anxiety disorders and they can learn how to recognize those triggers and those symptoms faster so that they are trying to address them quicker as they come up. Huh. Uh, there are breathing techniques. There are ways to change your response to anxiety in your brain. There's therapy, there's all kinds of coping mechanisms. But I'm hesitant to say, that everyone can, you know, have those skills built to the point where they don't feel anxiety anymore. Okay. It's more about recognizing it, changing how your response is to it, and hoping that that work helps you continue to manage it. Oh, I like that word manage. And thank you for getting me back on the right path there, because it, it really, you know, I, I have not experienced an anxiety disorder. I know people that have. 
and I have not dismissed them. I've tried to help them as much as I can. You know, we try to do that here at Utah. I mean, it's all about, you know, our audience talking to us. It's you talking to us. And, and, but thank you for that. I, I'm glad. I want to I stay on that path and that idea of being able to manage it because there's a lot of things in our life that we have to be able to manage. I mean, it could be a chronic illness. And, you know, you have to learn how to manage that. So now we have anxiety disorder. Um, and are we able to pinpoint then or, or kind of point to what causes that anxiety disorder in us? Is that part of the managing of it? There's a lot of different theories on what leads to anxiety disorders and what causes them. Typically, it's a, a biological experience. So if you oh. have a lot of anxiety disorders in your family, okay. you're at a higher risk for developing anxiety disorder. There are also environmental factors. And so the environment you're in and the way that you may have experienced trauma or experienced other things in your life can lead to anxiety. And then, you know, obviously different events of trauma can lead to yeah. anxiety. So a lot of times when we think about PTSD, we obviously think about soldiers, but some of the sure more common causes of PTSD or sexual assault and the rate of sexual assault in this country is much higher than the percentage of soldiers we mm. have. And so a lot of times we forget that there are everyday things happening to people that can actually lead to anxiety disorders. Thank you. We need to hear that. And, and this whole sexual abuse thing, I, I have run into more people in this last year and it's mainly females that have have been sexually assaulted and and um we actually had a guest on our show who uh started a like a kind of an advocacy group you know to where people can come and, and interact and things like that and she's only a senior in high school and the tragedy is that she was assaulted younger mm. um and you know and that seems to be happening more and more is it seems like it's getting younger and it's it's lasting longer, you know, and, and I guess it, it's that thing too, wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, find help. It's okay not to be okay mm -hmm. and find someone, whether it's a, a parent or whether it's a close friend or a counselor or a coach or getting therapy. There's nothing wrong, people, with getting therapy. Mm -hmm. You know, and you've taught, we've talked about this before, that, that stigma, that stereotype. I think you talk about having to be able to get kind of get over that get into a campaign where you know you're you're becoming more healthy mentally and and you're leaving the stereotype behind if you think about physical health a lot of people envy when people are taking care of their physical health you see someone leaving the gym and you think yeah. like oh i should exercise you see someone who's fit you think i need to get fit we need to get to a place in our society where it's a similar thing for mental health oh. when you see someone in therapy you see someone taking care of themselves you think like, oh, I should be doing that. And it is a, it's a critical part of mental mm. health. I think the thing for me is we keep using buzzwords like mental health is like physical health. And I agree, physical health is a lot of work. Mental health is a lot of work. It's not, it's not something you can just say you're gonna do and then do it. And that requires self-awareness, discipline, coping mechanisms, boundaries, all of these other things. So I think that's a big part of it as well. Well, and that it, it, the way you, you kind of unrolled that now almost speaks to me like we need to have somebody that can help us like walk through that. Mm -hmm. So we, we know we've got to become more self-aware. What does that mean? What does it mean to set boundaries? I mean, I'm even sitting here thinking now um, just the, the chaotic state my life is in, so to speak, and with everything, all kinds of stuff going on. It's like people don't realize 
I'm only one person, you know, and there's these expectations. And I think all of us face that from time to time and, you know, uh, unrealistic expectations. And I can only do so much. And I'm, I'm wrestling with, I've got to find a way to put boundaries out and just say, I can only, you know, do so much. I can only handle so much, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I've had three or four books sent to me in less than a month. Uh, and the author said, hey, I want you to read my book and tell me what you think. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me put it on the stack over here. You know, it's, you'll, you'll be in my stack because I don't have time to read everybody's book and make a comment on everybody. I'm, I appreciate you thinking of me. I'm glad you got your book written. You know, that, and that's kind of a, that, that, that's a lesser pressure that I know so many people, that it, we do have unrealistic expectations. Our friends put unrealistic expectations on us. Mm -hmm. Our parents do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a teacher does. And finding a way to balance that. It, now, you teach a class once a week, is it? At, at the yes. Yes. So we have grade 6 through 12 here. And uh, obviously, I have other educators who work with me. And there's a weekly class on mental health for students in grade 6 through huh. 12. Now, is this with that class, are the things that we're talking about right now, mm -hmm. are you covering? I mean, I would assume you're covering something similar to that in that class? Yeah. Almost all of my seventh graders could tell you the difference between the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, what the limbic system in the brain does, how to activate their cortexes, the difference between nervousness and anxiety, uh, how to frame mental health like physical health, Whoa. and really just those same pillars of mental health that follow them through that, that journey. And, uh, you know, it just changes how they, they see the world and, and what they can do with it. Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, can like a non seventh grader come and sit yeah. in? You're saying stuff, and I'm go going, to my school, apply. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I I don't think I can get away with that now, you know, <laughs> unless I could just audit them or something. No, but you're you're talking about this stuff, and I'm going. Time out! Time out! Time out! I don't know what you're talking about, you know. <laughs> and, but but well, this, yeah. I think this is so cool because I mean, our other schools picking up on this and doing something like this? I don't hear a lot of talk about mental health in schools, but maybe it's just because mm. I'm not there and I'm, you know, I'm not being informed. There's a push for this. There's social emotional learning that's been pretty widespread around the country. Mm -hmm. The next wave of education, though, is going to be around mental health literacy, which is having a definition of mental health and knowing how the brain works and knowing how to frame mental health and put it into a spectrum of functionality and how to help friends. And so that's just kind of the next step here mm -hmm. is, is what's called mental health literacy, which is really just mental health vocabulary. So it's, it's getting there. And uh, we're really just at the start of it. The reality is we're never going to have enough mental health professionals in this country. We never mm -hmm. will. And, uh, you know, we need to at least acknowledge that. And so because we're never going to have enough mental health professionals, we need to start going upstream and teaching people about this from a young age yeah it's such an important thing and it could make such a big difference in somebody's life i mean i think of some of my own relatives that that just struggled with mental health and some were afraid to ask for help some you know and and it's that you know oh it's okay to, to not be okay that kind of thing and all but i'm glad that i'm i'm glad for what you're doing because um we need more of this, uh, especially with younger people, because thinking long term, if they get healthy, then they're 
families and relationships are going to be more healthy and the long-term effect. I mean, I, I'm just amazed that seventh graders are picking up on that. But it goes to show, I, sometimes I don't think we realize what our students are capable of doing. I teach drums on the side. You know, I'm a drummer, and, and it's interesting as I look at my younger students and versus the older students and seeing what they're capable of doing and then listening to the questions they're asking me. And I mean, I, we shouldn't sell them short. We should give them the credit. And when you've got seventh graders doing that, I mean, that is so cool that, I mean, it's just, and that gives me hope, you know, that's a hopeful thing that we're going to see some kids learn how to cope. We're going to see some kids that understand their mental health. And, and is there any, and again, I don't want to oversimplify things. Are there some things that we should all be doing every day to help us with our mental health? I mean, that's, that's sorry, that's probably just like this. Ah, okay, how much time do we have, Steve? It's just taking time to, again, be intentional in your life and be aware of what you want or what you need. Mm-hmm. It's different for each person. Some people that's listening to music, some people it's talking to a friend, some people it is taking a second minute alone to just recharge because you don't get that space. So it, it's more about, you know, what can you do to maintain that mental health for, for, for some people it's exercise for physical, pretty clear what we need to do to take care of our bodies. We need to eat healthily. We need to exercise. We need to know our family history. Sure. For mental health, obviously those things overlap, but there could be other things you do to cope that may not be as obvious. Huh. You can't separate physical health from mental health because they are tied together but your brain might need different things for communication, for all kinds of other aspects. So it takes work. In other words, you said that earlier. It takes work, just like physical exercise takes work, physical health, and you've used the word intentional, um, which is is such a key word. We've got to make a decision to be intentional mm-hmm. about it. It's now. I, I, I'm kind of curious about something because it's a, it reflects a conversation I had recently. Um, do you think music can be therapeutic? Yes, the research shows that music can be therapeutic. You know, there's a difference between music releasing emotions versus music reinforcing emotions. Mm. So if you think about it, if somebody's really sad, they might listen to a sad song and connect to it and say like, okay, somebody gets that I'm sad. Somebody else might listen to sad music for weeks or months at a time and it actually reinforces their sadness or their feelings of depression or huh. being depressed. So it's really important to separate those things, you know, and, and you can do that with any coping mechanism. Yeah. Coping mechanisms can either release emotions or reinforce emotions. Mm, that's good. Music, music can be really great, but it can also enhance our feelings to the point where we yeah. act on them. And the reason I'm asking is I, I was at a big um, music show and I got a conversation with a, a new company I was not familiar with that manufactures hand percussion because that's becoming a bigger part of things I do. Uh, I haven't done it in schools yet, but I actually got to talk to the owner. The company is, is in Europe and, um, you know, there's discussion about, uh, you know, them providing hand percussion instruments for me to use, all, which would be great because they're very high quality. He said, um, do you try to do things with music for mental health in schools? And I thought, that's interesting. I mean, I don't think I've intentionally done that. Certainly, I want to try to go in and talk about choices and and help students understand how to make better choices. But I think what we do need to remember that that it can influence us, because if we're feeling sad and we listen to sad music and music that's down, it could drag us down. Or, like you said, we, we...
to, oh, somebody gets me, you know, um, I, I like the, the words of this song, the lyrics, the music, whatever. Um, but it's a tool, I guess, like any other tool. Yes, definitely. There's so much to this. Um, talk to the person who's struggling with anxiety and they haven't felt comfortable. How's that? Reaching out to someone. What would you say to them? Anxiety is one of the most crippling mental health issues to experience because you used to have ease in doing certain things and now anxiety is not only preventing you, but it's also just kind of controlling you. Mm. And it, it seems like anxiety will never go away, that anxiety could never change and it's taken over your life. But on the flip side of that, once you start doing the work, there are different ways to manage anxiety. There are different ways to uh, learn how to cope and learn how to communicate about it. And so if you are someone who has an anxiety disorder and you're really crippled or shut down by it, just know that you're not alone. Know that what your brain is doing is keeping you trapped in a hmm. cycle of anxiety that uh, won't end until you find a way to, to change those neural pathways, whether that is with therapy or meds or a combination of both or changing up those neural pathways, you'll, you'll just keep living the same neural pathways if you don't mm. start changing mm. it. So it's not your fault that you're experiencing anxiety and you didn't choose to go through it and then taking the steps to try and change the coping mechanisms or change the brain. It is a lot of work, but, but you can definitely do it. And and don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, find that person who you can trust because it's it can be lonely, you know. Mm -hmm. And and if you can find somebody, and again, I come back. I hear you saying you didn't use a word, but being it, make a decision, be intentional. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want my brain to keep me in this trap. I don't I don't want to be in this circle, you know, forever and ever. I want to get out of it. I want I want a change. So you've got to want to change bad enough. Now, what about for the person who is has joined us in the show today or, you know, uh, later for the other versions of it, who has a friend or a relative that is really struggling with anxiety. What are some things that, how do we approach them? For, for friends, it's, it's important to remember, or family, it's important to remember that when you approach someone that uh, their initial reaction is going to be to be defensive. Mm -hmm. And that you're going to have to try and find ways that approach them that help them feel comfortable uh, comparing mental health to physical health or letting them know you love them or letting you know that they would do the same thing for you. That's a really important first step because mm -hmm. mental health disorders do cause people to be more anxious and defensive when somebody approaches them. The next part of it is remember that like you can't be their therapist or their psychologist. Okay. You can only encourage them, ask them open-ended questions really help them see that you hope they get help. Uh, but if somebody doesn't want to actually get help, you can't jump in their body and make them do it. And so, yeah. you know, know what the, know, know your limits, know your boundaries. Yeah, I was going to say, do. know your limitations then. And then if you are dealing with it, sometimes a thing that can harm our mental health is when someone we love has mental health that isn't, isn't doing well. And so it's important to take care of yourself and talk about how that person affects your life so that you're not losing your mental health in the process. Mm, mm. And, and I, I would think too, an important part of this, if, if, if you come across a friend or family member who doesn't want help, you don't abandon them. Mm -mm. You, you remain consistent mm -hmm. so that they mm -hmm. know if they get to a point, this person has been here for me. I know they care about me. I know they love me. 
okay, there's, you know, now there's, I feel different. I feel like I could, um, it, it's such a battle. It's such an important one, you know, and you see mental health being thrown around in a lot of different ways in our culture today, but I appreciate just the healthy um, approach that you've given us. And again, this, there's so much more, you know, we need to take your class. I mean, that's the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, the average time between someone experiencing uh, symptoms of a mental health disorder and seeking help is seven years. Oh, so you're right. You, you do have to be patient and you do have to be caring and you do have to be kind as someone's going through that journey because uh, it usually takes people time to realize it or accept that something's wrong. Seven years. A lot of damage can be done in seven years. And a lot of ineffective coping can form neural pathways in those seven years that becomes their norm or becomes the way they actually deal with mm. it. Wow. Thank you for all the work you're doing. Um, by the way, too, we should mention your book because this kind of kick-started me. I was excited when I saw it, but then I thought this book is, is, was not targeted. You were not targeting teens or young adults. You were targeting younger kids. Yeah, it's called The Kids Book About Anxiety. It was written for kids ages five to eight. Uh, kids Book About Anxiety was recently uh, bought out or formed a partnership with Penguin Random House. And so now it'll be translated into 63 different languages oh. and sold globally. Uh, the book is really just a, a basic guide to help kids understand the difference between feeling nervous and having an anxiety disorder and for tools different tools you can yeah. use to manage anxiety, whether it's breathing or focusing on a point, a stable point in a room, or, you know, just doing different things to, to recognize when anxiety is starting in your body and, and using those skills to, to help calm yourself. Yeah. I, uh, thanks for, thanks for writing that. I thumbed through just a little bit, you know, and I thought, first of all, when you said you remind me again, five years old, mm -hmm. Oh, that just grabs my heart that a little five-year-old, but it's reality. It's mm -hmm. reality. And, and just the simpleness of your book, you know, you can walk through it. And actually, I think an older person could go through it as well and benefit from it. You know? yeah, the, goal, the goal, too, is you write it for that age group so that parents read it with their kids. And mm. they can also have a conversation about the family history of that family. Because the, the more you know about your family history with mental health, the more prepared you're going to be. I think I was 20... Six years old when I asked my parents if anyone else in our family had a mental health disorder. Huh. And I'm not even joking, like around like 17 minutes later, they stopped naming people. So it wasn't even just like oh. a few people. It was like cousins and distant cousins oh. and aunts and uncles. And three of my grandparents were alcoholics. So, you know, um, it was, uh, it's good to know your family. Yeah, no, it really is. I mean, it, it, it's, um, I mean, it's crazy. It breaks up families. It breaks up marriages. Um, you know, you've got to be honest. You've got to be real. Um, you've got to be intentional by getting help and changing. And just because you have this family history doesn't mean you have to continue down that historic path. You can get on another path. Yeah, that's the beautiful thing is as you change your brain and you change the neural synapses in your brain, the uh, brain changes. And, and depending on when you have kids, the epigenetics of the work you do mm -hmm. will actually be passed down to your kids. So if you nice. take time to heal and if you take time to recover and you have kids, then the, they're getting those genes, sure. not the genes that are, are laden with as much severity. So epigenetics is a pretty cool concept for, for mental health. That's huge. Things can change. 
You don't have to stay caught up in this this whirlwind or this, you feel like you're in a treadmill in the middle of a blizzard and you can't get off. You can change. Things mm-hmm. can be changed. Um, how do people stay in touch with you on social media? The best way is just follow me on Instagram. That's where I'm kind of most active okay. with my ideas and what I'm doing. I'm also on TikTok. It's just Ross Ezebo. TikTok is a new venture for me. And then, uh, yeah, I'll just post everything on Instagram that I'm doing. I have a lot of cool stuff coming up. We have a mental health teacher training institute that we do at UCLA in July where we teach other teachers how to do the program that we're doing at my school. And then uh, I have some more exciting speaking engagements and announcements coming up uh, this, this May. May is mental health month, so... It's a pretty busy month wow. to, to be out there and doing advocacy. Well, I'm glad we we were able to snag you, you know, right at the end, right before every, the business comes. Because it, it, uh, I always enjoy our conversations, and I, I just I can't thank you enough, you know, for what you're doing to help students. I think you use that phrase, win the campaign for a sound mind, because that that can make us so much more healthy. You know, we could be you know, massively healthy physically and, and, you know, lean body fat and all of that stuff. But if we're not healthy mentally, we're missing out. We're really missing out. Thank you. I really appreciate you taking time. It's always good to have a conversation. We will do it again. Um, we'll sneak into your schedule when we can get you. But no, I appreciate what you're doing with students. And, and I mean, it, it really, because that's, of course, you know, my heartbeat. And whatever we can do to get the word out about what you're doing, we want to be able to do. So give us that uh, Instagram handle again, please. Yeah, it's just my first name, Ross, R-O-S-S. My last name is S-Z-A-B-O. So at Ross Abo is my Instagram handle. Cool. Yeah, we'll, and we'll put that in the notes for this show. Awesome. Ross, thank you, and, and uh, we'll have to get together in and out one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. This is Utalk Radio. 